Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us a feast from your word. We pray, Lord God, that your spirit would be among us, that you would speak to your people, and that we would hear the voice of the good shepherd, that we would read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest all that you have given to us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Man, thank you so much for those uh, 8 o'clock folks who've come to uh, the 1030 service. But isn't it just so wonderful to have this, this full church? Really wonderful to have all of you today. Uh, I was speaking just a couple of months ago with our brand new priest associate, Father George. He was not brand new anymore, but he was brand new then. And we were talking about the fact that our stewardship campaign will be coming up soon. And i got to tell you, there is... Not many things that strike fear in the heart of a rector more than the prospect of uh, raising enough money for a parish to run smoothly and to be positioned to grow uh, in the following year. And part, I think, part of that fear comes from the perception, whether it's true or not, you can decide, but from the perception that there's really not a lot of sermons that you would like to hear less uh, than a stewardship sermon But Father George, uh, knowing this, wise and experienced priest that he is, said, I've got an idea. Stone soup. And he reminded me of the children's fable that you may remember. That once upon a time there was a village that found itself in uncertain economic times. If I remember the story right, the village was right on the banks of a mighty river and uh, inflation was an all-time high. But... um, uh, (laughs) So the villagers in this town were not sure there was enough food to go around, and so they hid whatever food they had and kept to themselves. One day, a soldier on a long journey happened to ride his mule through the village, and he knocked on a few doors and asked for food, but no one had any to share. And so he told one of the women that had declined uh, to give him food, he said, no matter, I'll just uh, I'll make some stone soup. And she growled at him and said, that's impossible. You can't make soup from a stone. And the soldier just happily replied, well, I've made stone soup many times. And so in front of the curious villager, he took a pot from uh, the pack on his mule and, and filled it with water and prepared a fire. And then he removed a simple stone uh, from his pocket and held it up for the woman to see. He looked right in her eyes and said, here's the magic. And he put the stone carefully into the pot of water. And as the water reached a boil, uh, uh, there was a a small group of curious onlookers had gathered, and the soldier dipped his ladle into the pot and tasted the soup. Mmm, this is delicious, he said, but it could use some onion. And one of the onlookers said, you know, I've got an onion coming up uh, in my garden right now, and went back and just pulled out the onion, and the unearthed onion was soon cut up and, and put into the pot, and a little while later, the soldier tasted the soup again and said, This is my best stone soup yet, but you know what? Potatoes would make it even better. And so uh, uh, somebody was, uh, ran off to get potatoes out of their hiding place. And before long, nearly the whole village was gathered around the pot. And carrots and peppers and corn and squash and even a ham bone had been uh, added. And the stone soup was nearly bubbling over and the delicious aroma filled the streets. 
And at last, the soldier declared the soup to be ready, and the local innkeeper uh, provided bowls and spoons all around, and all the villagers happily ate their fill. It was the best soup that any of them had ever tasted. And when the pot was empty and the bellies were full, the soldier rinsed off the stone and dropped it in his pocket. And he was tying the pot back onto uh, his mule's pack and preparing to ride off into the sunset. And the mayor came up and asked him where the village might get one of these magic stones like the one in the soldier's possession. The soldier pointed at the ground all around them and said, Stones are everywhere, but you're the magic. And of course, the moral of the story is obvious. When everyone gives what they can, the end result is far greater than a sum of the parts. And so we can see why Father George had the wise and clever intuition to use stone soup as a parable for stewardship. Because when we all give what we can, the end result is far greater than the sum of all of our contributions. In our gospel passage, we find Jesus in the Jerusalem temple. It's just a couple of days before he will be crucified. He's with his disciples and they are casually observing as many people are making their contributions. Now, in that day it was not unusual or even Uh, It was not rude in the temple to notice people bringing in their tithes and offerings because the place to do that had 13 great big brass horn-shaped containers. Each horn was labeled differently. It might say uh, burnt offerings on one and temple preservation on another. But wherever you chose to drop in your coins, uh, whether it was silver or gold coins you had, uh, it made a tremendous noise as it the coins rattled against the brass and of course the more coins that you put in for your offering the more impressive the sound and people noticed I remember when I was in college a friend of mine told me about uh, his dad who was an executive of some type his dad didn't go to church as much as he did but every time they would go to church together it's back in the 90s his dad during the offering time would make sort of a big show of about taking out the checkbook. And, oh, in this, which pocket is it in? And, you know, and he would <coughs> cough, you know, and just uh, sort of write the check and tear the check unnecessarily loudly and kind of, you know, look at, the, look at the check a little bit and trying to draw attention to his giving without looking like he was drawing attention to his giving. Now, we don't see that much anymore. You know, you might, if you're writing a check, you probably drop it in the plate, but, but, um, you know, if you give online during church, people think you're scrolling on Facebook. And so, um, I mean, maybe you are, but, um, this, you know, I imagine this sort of look at me sort of heart as people are in the temple giving their coins a little extra oomph against the brass uh, to make an impressive sound. But one woman catches Jesus' attention particularly. And in fact, Jesus was probably the only one whose attention was caught by this woman. She was a poor woman, probably wearing very dull and tattered clothes. and was the kind of woman that if anyone did notice her, that, that they would feel pity or maybe even disdain. But not Jesus. Jesus seems to feel real admiration for this dear woman as she entrusted all that she had to the Lord, 
just a mere two copper mites. I'm told that these tiny copper coins were very thin. They were worth about an eighth of a cent. Far less than the standard denarii. As they were dropped into that brass horn, they would have made no noise and turned no heads. But she wasn't there to turn heads. She was there to express to God that she, in, that she trusted him with everything that she owned. How was she, how was she going to eat that night? Where was she going to sleep? God knew. And that must have been good enough for her. In fact, from her faithful position, it was probably far safer to give the money to God than to keep the money for herself. Because she was not there to catch anyone's attention but God's. And little did she know that she did catch God's attention, God incarnate, watching from the other side of the courtyard. You know, it's obviously not the amount that is impressive to Jesus, it's the sacrifice. It's the heart that is willing to give beyond what is reasonably afforded. The heart that loves to give till it hurts. Because it's the heart that loves God above all things. Now, this is probably the point in the sermon where I should jump in and say uh, that I do not think that we are all called to give every last cent to the church. But I do think that we are in called to entrust every last cent to God. Which is to say, and I promise you I'm preaching to myself here, that we are not called to the woman's action or to the woman's percentage, but we are called to her heart. We're not called to the woman's action or her percentage, but we are called to the woman's heart. We're called to love God above our things and to love God above our money and our comfort and our lifestyle. And I have to say, it's one thing to profess such faith, isn't it? But it's another thing entirely to arrange your life like you mean it. And I don't mind telling you that there have been plenty of times when the Gibbs family has gotten away from the disciplines of arranging our lives to show that our faith really is the most important thing. And maybe that, that looks different in different way, times. You know, it's, uh, we've gotten away from spending as much time in Scripture or prayer as we would like. Or we get away from a willingness to help someone out or to give someone a listening ear. Certainly, it can be about financial giving. Because we've all been there, I think. You know, when we, times get tight and we get scared to give. Or times get comfortable and, you know, there's just other things we'd rather spend that money on. But at its foundation, stewardship is not about how much of our income we give to the church. It's about what we do with everything that God has given to us. A hundred percent of it. Because it's all His. And it's all from Him. And so stewardship, therefore, is about our hearts. It's about our love for God, about our prioritizing Him and trusting Him. It's about our desire to contribute 
to the ministry of the kingdom so others can know him and love him like we do. So stewardship is rooted in the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son to the end that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The creator of the universe has given every bit of himself to you. The very life of the Son of God to reconcile you to the Father. God is a giver. And our gifts to the church are not a tax so that God can pay his bills. God is a giver. And by inviting us to give, he graciously invites us to share in his character. And therefore giving is good for us. founder of public supermarkets, George Jenkins, was once asked how much he thought he would be worth if he hadn't given so much money away. Without hesitating, he responded, probably nothing. Probably nothing. See, the woman in the passage wasn't in a position to make a big difference to the temple's bottom line, but she was sharing in the character of God, such that her contribution has given 2,000 years of inspiration to the church of God far more than anyone making noise with their coins that day. Stewardship is discipleship. Stewardship is about the heart. Stewardship is a tangible expression of gratitude and trust. One thing I've been reflecting on this week is I've been thinking about this passage. Why would these? Why would Luke put these two vignettes together? Because we have uh, first the woman with the coins, but then right after that, there's this destruction of the temple. You know, a day is coming when no stone is going to be left upon another. It's, that's not quite a juxtaposition. Quite a ju- It's hard to say that word, isn't it? It's an odd juxtaposition. It's an odd juxtaposition. But the truth is, and this, I mean, there's probably lots of things to get out of that juxtaposition, but here's what I'm thinking about. The truth is, we don't just give to preserve the buildings. We are giving to advance the kingdom of God. Now, of course, we love our buildings and our beautiful grounds and And, of course, we will use a portion of the offerings to keep up our buildings and grounds. And let me tell you that Mike Baldwin does a fantastic job as our director of facilities. But the buildings are just tools for the kingdom. And there will be a day, I mean, I hope it's way down the road when none of us are here anymore, but there will be a day when when no uh, board is left nailed to another one. These buildings will be gone. But the impact of the ministry of this place will go on into eternity. And that's what we're giving to. I'll give you some examples. Did you know that right now, like as we're together, right now out at Camp Weed, which is the diocesan uh, conference center, that there are 14 people from our church, youth and adults, who are at New Beginnings, which is a uh, renewal retreat for middle schoolers. 
14. Hannah Barden is doing a great job building our youth group up. And have you seen, did you see the number of kids that just went out to our kids' word? And then this, that was kind of even a small group, actually. Sunday schools are more full than they have been in years because Emily Sunomori is doing a great job in gaining some real traction. Here's what's amazing about the ministry of Hannah Barton and Emily Sunomori is that they were both once little girls in this parish, and many of you remember. And they are now passing on the kingdom ministry that they were given in this place. And only God knows how many of these kids that uh, they're ministering to now will be ministering here or maybe elsewhere out in the world in 20 years because you are supporting their ministry with your financial gifts. Or, did you know that one of the first conversations I ever had with our incredible director of music, Bob Moore, was about how the church needed to produce good art. Art used to be ours, I mean centuries ago, and now the church puts out some pretty bad stuff. And the church needs to take back art. And maybe you were one of 150 people who were here last Sunday night, many of them visitors, to experience excellent, emotional, musical art that invited us to reflect on our own mortality and faith through the poetry of our parish founder, Harriet Beecher Stowe. It was spectacular. Did you know that through Church of Our Savior that hungry people are being fed? And kids who are struggling in school are learning to read. And a lost world is hearing the gospel winsomely proclaimed. And people are studying the scriptures as they find both community and purpose. And we could go on and on and on because the Spirit of God is moving in this place. We are a beacon of Christian vitality and the villagers are eating the soup. Because when we all give what we can, the result is far more than the sum of the contribution. So, after church, we're going to have a big lunch together. And I hope you'll join us for our stone soup lunch. But you know what? Even if you can't, I hope that you will fill out a pledge card because you believe in the ministry of this place. And when you do fill out that card, I... I don't want you to first think about what you can afford. I want you to think about the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that you and I who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to think about how much we have received. I want you to think about the trusting faith of the woman in the passage and about what we're really giving to. I want you to say your prayers and say thank you to God and respond with great faith. And by God's grace, the result will be far more than the sum of our contributions. So let's enjoy the soup. Amen.